Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Amen. Thanks, Aaron. All right. Well, what a week. What a day. Um, Father's Day, baby dedications. the end of uh, the last week of our capital campaign this week. We've had the, the tragedy in, in uh, Charleston. Um, uh, my father's uh, funeral, a wedding yesterday. It's been just uh, almost an overwhelming uh, week. Also, some of you know Rusty, the, the lead police officer who's uh, usually out there. He was, he was in uh, Chandler Regional Hospital for three days this last week with diverticulitis, so be praying for him. It's been just an odd way. And then it was hot. It was really hot, too, in addition to all of that. So um, kind of collecting my thoughts and, and figuring out how to sort of wrap up this series about our new property and, and the last week that we take a break from the Gospel of Mark, um, I just want to reiterate where we've been. We've talked about uh, the goodness of God in the created order. That was the first week and how we see that in the Arcadia area. And then last week we spent time... Uh, talking about brokenness and, and uh, the fall and, and how we see brokenness also in Arcadia, and yet at the same time God's uh, redemption uh, is also seen in the midst of that as well. Um, let me just say this about, um, uh, not to belabor the point, but um, we saw once again uh, brokenness in a, in, a, uh, in a much more magnified way this, this week with the tragedy in South Carolina. Um, and, and it's been interesting to watch uh, social media. And again, uh, I just want to remind everybody, I am not anti-social media, but there are always challenges with every bit of progress. Um, and just watching, uh, you know, it seems like everybody has an opinion about what happened in South Carolina and very willing to express it as publicly as possible. Everybody has advice. Everybody has a suggestion. There have been several rants, even on Twitter, 140 character rants on Twitter about what's going on there. Um, and, and all of that, I, I suppose, is, it can be, can be used and, and redeemed by God, but ultimately none of that is, is going to really uh, do what we want it to do and, and what the people of, of South Carolina want it to do, and that is redemption and restoration. There's only one thing that can do that, and that is the gospel, which literally means good news. The gospel is not advice. It's not a suggestion. Uh, it's not counsel. It's not a rant. It, it, is, it is good news. It is the reality that, that Jesus died for us to cleanse us. He became unclean so that we might become clean and then conquered death through his resurrection so that we might be new creations and have new life. Uh, the hate that we see, the, the racism, those things relate specifically to South Carolina, but every other part of brokenness that we see in culture, there really is only one answer, and that's the good news of Jesus Christ. And we have to continue to put our faith in that. 
We have, to, we have to continue, even after our counsel and our advice and whatever it is that we have to offer, we still have to turn and lean heavily and deeply into the faithfulness of God and the faith that He has uh, given us. And we need to remember that, that as far as social media goes, and maybe particular Twitter, um, again, not hacking on it, but just making an observation that all you really need today is an idea that sounds good and a little bit of momentum and you can kind of have a week of glory in the sunshine. You know what I mean? You can trend for a little while. The gospel isn't about trending. The gospel is about all of life. The gospel is everything. The gospel is about our existence. It's the story of God and His people. It's the only thing that endures forever and ever and ever. Three things will endure forever and ever and ever. That is God, His Word, and His people. It's the only answer that we really have that means anything. And so pray to that end and lean into that and pray for the people of South Carolina and particularly these, these, these uh, families. And so today we talk about that. This is what we end with this week is, is the redemption of, of God's people through our faithful presence in the church. The church is God's chosen means to carry out his mission. For those of you, we have a lot of new people here today, I imagine, because of the dedications. For those of you that are wondering exactly what I'm talking about in terms of this capital campaign and the, and the visioning and all that stuff, we, uh, we are in temporary quarters here and have been for the last five and a half years, and we actually found property in the Arcadia area that would be affordable for a church, which is a miracle in itself. And uh, it's going to be at 33rd Street and Camelback Road, and we're going to be closing escrow in another week or so, and then starting construction in, in July and maybe moving in maybe by Christmas, maybe just after the first of the year. But that's exciting because we are now going to have a faithful, permanent presence in the Arcadian area, which is great. We're going to move in for real, and we're going to plant roots. We're not going to drop an anchor. We're going to plant roots. And we're reminded again that the local church is God's hope and vision embodied in His people. That's what, that's what it is. It's His mechanism. Uh, a perfect and relentless God is going to use His imperfect but relentless church to proclaim His gospel and to go on mission. And the local church, has a, as, as, a, as I've mentioned, has a great call on its life and many different calls. But perhaps the most important call is being faithful within its own local community and context. We have the greater body of Christ, but we also have that expressed in individual and unique local congregations everywhere, and we are one of those. And so with this property, God has faithfully given us a permanent opportunity now, a permanent opportunity in a community that's completely priced out of churches but in desperate need of the gospel. And so we celebrate that. And again, I've mentioned this many times. I'll say it again. Our goal now is not to have a weekly presence, but, but we will now have a week-long presence, which is something we've prayed for for um, more than five years here. And uh, it's been interesting doing this campaign. There's been great excitement around this and, and um, uh, just unbelievable enthusiasm in a level I've never really seen before in, in any church, and that's been really exciting. But one of the questions that has come quite frequently um, which, which I th thought, well, okay, this is coming with great enough frequency that I probably need to deal with it from the front, so I'll, I'll deal with it here. Uh, one of the questions that's come is that Arcadia, this congregation, has been really heavily involved the last 18 months in planting churches as well. Um, some of you remember that um, 
uh, in January of 2014, so just about uh, 18 months ago, we sent uh, 30 adults and their children with uh, the New Valley plant downtown, New Valley Presbyterian and Chandler uh, planted downtown in January, and we participated in that plant and sent uh, 30, 30 people out uh, with that plant. And then, of course, you remember, most of you remember um, Sean Myers, who had been here as a resident for more than two years and, and building to plant Redemption Arcadia. We sent them out on uh, February 8th, and uh, we now have Redemption Arcadia. It was our, our um, ninth congregation in Redemption. And uh, by the way, they're doing really, really well. They're talking about going to two services for the fall, which is really exciting. So uh, that's exciting. And then, of course, we're in the midst of planting Redemption Scottsdale right now with Sean Mortensen, one of the elders in Redemption Arcadia. Um, he is going to be planting Redemption Scottsdale. And uh, Pro- uh, uh, Peoria took 50 adults and 25 children. Um, probably Scottsdale will take about the same uh, numbers uh, with them. But at some point, you know, people are going to start asking, and they have, well, wait, 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 wait. That seems like we're sending a lot of people out. We're sending a lot of people out. What about us? What about us? What about us? And, and I, I'll be the first to admit that church planning is really not easy. That's tr- Sure, it's not that easy. You know, my greatest idol in life, you guys should all analyze your idols too. It's good to know those idols. But my greatest idol in life is comfort. And church planting is like the antithesis of comfort, not only for the planting church, but also for, for uh, the church that is sent out as well. I mean, it's, it causes dis-ease in a, in a congregation. But we need to remember, read your Bibles, y'all. Jesus does not call us to a life of comfort and ease. I know that's what a lot of us would like the gospel to be about, is comfort and ease, but he doesn't call us to a life of comfort and ease. He calls us to a life of mission, tension, and perseverance. Mission, tension, and perseverance. And so I guess you could say the big idea would be this. A biblical worldview is not a scarcity mentality, where are all these people going, but rather a generosity mentality. We are sending people out to proclaim the gospel and do God's mission. Biblical worldview is not a scarcity mentality, but a generosity mentality. And so, I know that tension is hard, but we we need tension in our lives, actually, to grow, to flourish, to be on God's... By the way, Think of it this way. I know this is a weird analogy for some of us, but it works for others, okay? Your car's engine cannot operate without tension, right? The church needs tension, actually, to be able to operate properly. Churches that get too comfortable and too easy are churches that are headed in the wrong direction. They're like sharks that aren't moving anymore. They die. And so we need the tension, and so we need to embrace the attention and not run from it. That's the call of the church. And this is the tension of the Redemption Church. I mean, our, our mission statement as a church is to birth, equip, and sustain healthy local congregations. That's what we say we are all about. And so when we plant churches, it should not be surprising to us. And the reason we plant churches is because God calls His people. It's, it's His chosen method, His people, His church, to go out and proclaim the gospel and, and he uses us as his vehicle to save people. I mentioned last week, my father is a Christian simply because the church was faithful to its mission. That's it. That's it. 
And you look like, for instance, in Genesis 12. Let me just read that little story to you. Just right from the very beginning, God is all about calling his people. Listen to this. Now the Lord said to Abram, this, he would eventually become Abraham. But the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house into the land that I'll show you. And I will make you, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and, I will, and, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so Abraham went, Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Okay, 75. Okay, so he didn't, he didn't go to a young guy even. He went to a guy who's probably standing around going, I don't have anything else to do. That's it, I'm done. Okay? And Abram took his, Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brothers, and, Lot, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah, At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. And Bethel, uh, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed on, Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. He says, he says, Abram, go to a land that I will show you. Now, please, don't get lost in the weeds here. I am not Abram, and, and I don't think this is a picture specifically of Redemption Arcadia, but it's funny how it all fits together. In general, God calls His people. He calls His people. And He often calls them to do things as He did with Abram here. Uh, he says, I want you to just do what I tell you to do. And he does it with no advance notice and he really doesn't tell you how it's going to turn out. Have you noticed that about God? Now, what is it that we want out of God? We want certainty. We want a guaranteed outcome. We want the exact path. And we want to be able to do it without faith while being people of faith. Okay? But this is the way God calls His people. I, just personally, I kind of felt like this four years ago when I started having conversations with uh, Tom and Tyler and some of the guys at Redemption about possibly moving from the church I was at to Redemption Arcadia. Um, it, it was just strange. Uh, I, was, I was not exactly at one of those um, key times in your life when you might actually make a career change. People don't normally make career changes in their early 50s. Okay, if you want to look at it that way, okay. Uh, We also, at that other church, we had 11 acres that we owned. We had a very small mortgage. We had lots and lots of parking, (laughs) okay. And we had just completed a building campaign for more than a million dollars where we didn't have to borrow any money at all. It was kind of a life of comfort and ease, actually, if you think about it. Some of you are shaking your head because some of you were there and remember that. And so, Jackie and I just felt certain that God was calling us to this place. From 11 acres to 1.35 acres, from owning with a small mortgage to leasing with a large rental payment. 
and, and, and an, a really an uncertain future, no guaranteed future. But I also looked at the way God was calling and, and Jackie too, and Jackie and I just looked at, us, at each other and said, there's no way we can miss this. He's calling us, and it's going to be hard, and, and it's going to be challenging, and it's going to be unsettling. But you've got to love the way God calls people, and then he challenges people where they are, and then he begins to equip people by his power. He begins to conform people into the image of his son, as Paul says in Romans. And he begins to take you on this journey that scares the living snot out of you, gospel-centered snot, but scares the living snot out of you nevertheless. And then just continues to be faithful in the midst of it and, and ends up essentially showing off when you least expect it. Showing off. And now we're taking that next step. We get to take that next step. I think God's kind of showing off with what he's done with this property. We, we know now where we're going. Here's the challenge. We're not exactly sure how we're going to get there. We're trying to piece that together right now. But God's been faithful this far, and so we think we can count on his faithfulness to continue in the future, but we still have some work to do. And ultimately what we're trying to get at, of course, is this picture in Acts that, that uh, Aaron read earlier. This picture in Acts, but I want to talk a little bit about this picture, this picture of the church and of the community. I want to make sure we talk about it in context so that we understand it more fully than, than how we tend to romanticize these five or six verses. It's a very famous passage from the end of Acts. And they, the new church, after Peter's sermon, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, breaking of bread, and to prayer. So we can get into that. Oh, yeah, the church is about teaching God's word and being together, fellowship, and eating. Of course, the church is about eating. And of course, we're going to pray in the midst of that. That's good. That's, that's the church. Yes, it's the church, but it's not the whole church. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day who were being saved. It's interesting that Abram's story that we just read, that was the start of this, and this is now what has come of it. Abram was the start of God's people, and, and through God's people, the Messiah would come, and then the church would come. It's interesting. And we love, we love Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, and it's always interesting how so many people will romanticize it and say, this is, we, should, we should get back to being like the early church. You know, praying and eating and teaching and, and having fellowship. Okay? Well, this is the early church, but it's not the whole of the early church as well. We have to remember the context. It's just six verses. We, we need to remember that this was the result of something that happened right before. What happened right before? Peter preached a really hard sermon that got in the grill of everybody, very confrontational, Proclaimed the gospel, and what happened? 3,000 people came to know the Lord. So it's not just about gathering together, but it's about proclamation and going out on mission. It says there, even in the passage, and day by day, God was adding to their numbers. That didn't happen accidentally. Empowered by God, the church goes out and proclaims the gospel on mission, loves people, 
serves people, loves their community, serves their community, all aspects of the community. And, and we look also at these verses and we say, well, that's all about di- discipleship. That's what discipleship looks like. Yes, it is, but, but we need to remember discipleship does look like these components, but it's not the total picture of discipleship. Discipleship is not just acquiring knowledge as many want to, to do, but it's also being equipped for mission. Read the rest of Acts. These little snippets where they gather together is a very small part of Acts. The rest of Acts is about the church going out, the church being sent, the church being called, the church being equipped. That's really what the book of Acts is about. Discipleship is never really discipleship until you and I get out of the boat. Theology is not theology until it is a lived out theology. We can have all the head theology you want in the world, but it's not real theology until the church begins to live it. Amen? We need to get out of the boat once we get to 3330 East Camelback Road. But I also want to talk about one other little thing, this, this um, wonderful buzzword and buzz issue that we have. I mean, it's just been so hot lately. Community. Community and relationships. And again, hey man, I'm not knocking community. And if David Massey were here, he's, he's in charge of our, re, our redemption communities. He would say, yes, community is very important. If you're not in a redemption community, you need to get into community. But the problem with community though, especially in our context and our culture, is that many people have made community the mission. And we need to remember that community is merely a tool for the mission. That the mission and the purpose and the vision goes beyond the community. The community is where we gather to be equipped, where we gather to pray, where we gather to know each other and to know God, yes, but then it is to then go out and be sent and be called and to go on mission. And in the midst of that, we start to rub against one of the idols that we talked about last week. This, this one idol I want to revisit for just a minute that we talked about last week. The idol that we have in this culture of radical individualism. We need to understand that radical individualism is at odds with the gospel because radical individualism essentially says, I'm only concerned about myself. And the gospel says, we are concerned about the world and doing God's mission. We are concerned about being outward focused and serving our community. The, the radical individualism is also at odds with genuine love because radical individualism will never let anybody be confronted gently or not about their sin. But the gospel is about not only calling us but also confronting us in our sin. And radical individualism is also at odds with community. This idea that that we really live in that's really prevalent today, that my relationships are disposable because the minute they get hard, then I can just leave them. The problem with a person leaving community every time it gets hard or your preferences aren't honored or someone actually has the nerve to disagree with you or does not see things your way, the problem with you leaving when that happens is that you always take yourself with you wherever you go. And so the problems continue you end up having the same problem over and over and over. I'm not discounting the fact that everybody else is a problem too. But you're never going to be able to avoid your problems by running them. You need to lean into them. 
And I'll tell you, listening to the murmurs of our culture, I do it at the community college, I do it at seminary, I do it here around church, I do it in the coffee houses, I'm reading stuff, I'm listening to the murmurs of the community. And it is clear to me that you and I as human beings, we both ache desperately for genuine community, and yet at the same time, we routinely practice disposable relationships. We ache for genuine community and yet routinely practice disposable relationships. We need to understand that genuine community requires, it absolutely requires both deterioration and repair, both hard work and pleasure. It's the reason that Jesus comes along in Matthew 18 and says, if anybody sins against you, you are to go to them. And you are to work it out and to reconcile with them. And if you can't work it out, then you need to start calling others in. That's hard, I know. Our favorite confrontation, uh, or I'm sorry, conflict style and strategy. Our, our favorite conflict style and strategy is avoidance. And Jesus says, no, not in the gospel. We're going to live in community together and we're going to work things out. It's, it's 2 Timothy 3.16. Put that up there for me. Where Paul writes, all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's inspired by God. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Tom Schrader says it this way. The Gospel tells us what's right, what's wrong, how to get right, how to stay right. But notice in there those tough parts that we don't like. We like to hear what's right, and we like to stay right, but we're a little upset about, uh-oh, I'm being confronted about what's wrong and how to get right. But that's part of the gospel. It's part of conforming us to the image of His Son. And then it's Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Do not judge lest you be judged. Everybody knows that verse. David Augsburger at Fuller Seminary Ten years ago, did this elaborate survey, and he found out that freshmen entering college, 18-year-olds entering college, whether they had a church background or not, didn't matter. It's just any freshman, thousands and thousands of these freshmen were uh, surveyed. Their favorite verse, the verse they knew, was Romans. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew 7, verse 1. Do not judge, lest you will be judged. They don't. They didn't know that there was something that came after it. That's the problem. The passage doesn't end there. Do not judge lest you be judged. But rather, you must examine yourself first because you're going to have a plank in your eye. You're going to have a big old log jam in your eye. You need to make sure that that's cleaned out. But then you are prepared in humility to go and take the speck of dust out of the other person's eye. That sounds like you're going to have to make some judgments. I perceive that you have a speck in your eye. But it's a gospel-centered Speck cleansing. It's one that's done in humility with, with, with great reflection. And, and the issue about this Matthew 18 passage and 2 Timothy 3 and Matthew 7, all of this and the, the idea of, of conforming to the image of God's Son through being called and confronted, this takes time. The Gospel takes time. And so the church needs a permanent place to be able to do that. And so now we're going to come at you this morning with, with what it's going to take. And we're going to show you about a 10-minute video, and then we're going to, uh, Tyler and I are going to come up here and kind of wrap up and, 
and uh, then we're going to get into our time of communion, okay? So just take a load off for a second. I will. Watch this video. It's funny, this is a really brief version of, of a longer story that was pretty amazing to me, but uh, um, in August, a, a young couple began to attend here, and um, it was the guy, Cameron Quick, the, the husband, um, who eventually walked by me uh, in December or January and, and said, hey, I know of this property. Um, but what's really interesting about that is... Um, his wife, Ashley, had no idea that they started attending here in August. And in October, they were having uh, dinner with Ashley's parents, Rick and Kathy Carey, uh, who live in Fountain Hills. And they were saying, well, we found a church in Arcadia. We think you'd really like this church. Um, the, the pastor goes to Iowa every summer. Rick is from Iowa. Her father is from Iowa. And uh, he talks about Chicago a lot. He likes to go to Chicago, too. And she knew that Rick had worked for several years in the shoe business in Chicago. So she said, I think you'd like this guy. He's got something in common with you. And, and then she says, uh, his name is Frank Switzer. And Rick and Kathy go, what? I worked with Frank, Rick says, in the shoe business in Chicago from 1980 to 1984. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wild? And so then he says to them, he says, now don't tell Frank. I want to surprise him one Sunday morning. I, I, I hadn't seen him in maybe 35 years. And then he and Kathy walk up in October one Sunday morning and uh, greeted me, and it was really amazing. They're, they're here somewhere in the congregation today, by the way. Rick and Kathy, Cameron and Ashley are out of town on business. But um, isn't that funny how God brings... That, that's kind of one of those things where you go, Wow. Okay, and so now Rick and Kathy and I and Jackie, uh, for me anyway, and, and Rick and Kathy, we've renewed this friendship that, w- that was um, 35 years ago had ended because we both got promoted out of Chicago to different places. And there was no, believe it or not, there was no such thing as social media or the internet back then. So we couldn't <laughs> stay connected. So that's kind of the, the, the nutshell of, of the acquisition story. If you want to hear the longer story, I can, I can make it cry in the middle of that story, I'm telling you. So, um, Tyler, would you, where, where's Tyler? Would you come up and just talk a little bit about the responsibility we have with this property uh, as you see it? Because this has been kind of your burn and your passion. So, Yeah, this is uh, a very exciting Sunday for all of us as we get to collectively participate in ownership of this moment going forward. And I'll just say this. There was that moment in the video uh, where we were talking about building upon the foundation of somebody else. I don't know how long you all have been in Phoenix for and how long many of you have even been Christians or following Jesus and therefore really understand church culture. But there's a church in central Phoenix uh, that has a rich, rich legacy um, down there called Bethany Bible Church. And out of Bethany Bible Church was planted the core group that planted Biltmore Bible, which is the property uh, we're taking on. Out of Biltmore Bible came Scottsdale, the core group to plant Scottsdale Bible, and the core group to plant Camelback Bible. So when we had the opportunity to sit down with the team of Biltmore Bible and to honestly say to them, not just to put forth a sales pitch, though we were trying to present ourselves in such a way to say, we think God might be doing something, but we did have the opportunity to say, Many of our leaders and almost all of them in some way have been influenced by this downline um, discipleship or literally 
immersing people in the gospel in such a way that others would be formed into it, we are all affected through the legacy of Bethany Bible Church, Biltmore Bible Church, Scottsdale Bible Church, and all of that. The first place that the founding pastor of Redemption, Gilbert, ever went after he was converted was Bethany Bible Church. And so we then had the opportunity to say to them, the very legacy that you all have established, that we got swept up in the current of, we're carrying on by saying we exist to glorify God by birthing and strengthening healthy local congregations of which Redemption Arcadia is one of these. And so just as these parents are seeking to pass down a legacy of Christ to their children, churches are the institution within cities and around the world that carry forth the gospel legacy in the way that God has designed it to do. Not the only institution. There's many other um, institutions that are doing this, but definitely the primary one is you look at the scriptures. And so this is no minor deal when God says to a congregation like ours, I'm going to give you this gift But he says it in such a way as I'm going to give it to you to steward. You have a responsibility. And the greatest joys in life come from responsibility. One of the biggest curses that we have upon our culture, like Frank talked about, of our individualism is so many of us try to run from our responsibilities and only establish what's good for me. And we miss out on the joy that Jesus spoke of is that it's better to give than it is to receive. That in our giving, we establish the greatest amount of personal joy. And this is an opportunity we have to steward. It's a huge gift and it's a huge opportunity. Each one of us sitting here have to participate in so that we can do something collectively for the good of Arcadia as a whole and ultimately the good of our state and the good of our nation. And uh, hopefully God would allow us to even have a, a little piece of an influence globally as well as we engage in this. So I am so thrilled. Redemption Church at large is so, so excited about this movement. Um, but we're also We're very eager, but we're also saying, Lord, you have to do it because we don't have the power uh, to do what needs to be done for us to get in here. But the way God's going to answer that call is through each one of us sitting here today. And we know that God has been faithful to provide us with this uh, property, and now we have the conundrum of of raising money, and that's always a challenge as well. And I know that some people say, well, why don't you just have faith with that too instead of passing out these pledge cards? Well, we do have the faith that it's going to happen. We know that God isn't going to provide this property for us and then not provide a way uh, for us. However, there is this uh, little thing called a bank out there, and in order to get construction loans, there has to be some indication from the congregation that the bank can look at and say, yeah, they're really serious about this. And so uh, these cards that we've been placing on the, on, the t- on the chairs for the last three weeks, we're asking now uh, for you to say, okay, it's time to actually write something down, put them in the gift um, uh, boxes in the back uh, today or next Sunday so that we can collect those. And at close, we can go to the bank when we uh, obtain our construction loan and say, We're really being serious about this. So we've had a couple of or three weeks now to be thinking about this and praying about this. We're asking you now to come forward and actually uh, write something down, whatever that might be, uh, and indicate your participation in this. We would really appreciate that. Uh, Tom uh, Schrader, uh, uh, Tyler's father-in-law and my good friend, was telling me this story about uh, the Gilbert campus years ago, East Valley Bible Church, um, how... Uh, when they would do a capital campaign, he would have some people come to him and say, listen, you shouldn't break ground on anything until you have every last single dollar that you need to do it because that will be an indication that you're showing faith in God. 
And he says then he would have other people that would come to him and, and say it this way. You should borrow absolutely as much as you possibly can against the property because that is an indication of your faith that God will provide the people to come and pay for it. Can you see the, the disparity there between the two? Uh, we've decided that we're going to try to hit the ball right down the middle of the fairway and do a little of both, okay? And so we need your help, but we also need your prayers, and we also need to count on God to be faithful to continue to help us with this acquisition. All right? All right. <laughs> Thanks, Tyler. Let, uh, Tyler, would you pray for us, and then I'll lead us into our, our last song and, and communion. Okay. Father, we come before you in prayer, and you own it all. You are the one who made the world and everything in it, and you continue to own it. The cattle on a thousand hills, your scripture tells us, you own everything that is under our control right now. God is yours. It's all yours. And so we ask, uh, Lord, that you would provide that which is needed uh, for us to move into this property. It is already a gift that we are so grateful for. Let us steward it well and let us steward it humbly um, knowing that you are the Lord, you are in control, that none of this has come about. This congregation is to come about not by the wisdom of men, but by the grace and providence and goodness of you. We thank you for that. God, I pray uh, for the joy to go out over this entire congregation in the gift, but also in the opportunity for us to be givers, as you told us, um, that we will be happier and filled with more joy, not in getting, but in giving. Father, we love you and praise you. Pour forth your blessing upon us in Christ's name. Amen.